Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 122. It's a new one. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play a short mystery message. No one on the line identifies themselves, but there is background sound, most likely from a television. The message is 12 seconds long and comes from the fall of 1989. Let's listen. The new one, the next door key. You know, it's just new one. The central mystery here is what was playing in the background. After listening to the message many times, I can only guess the words being said. And these words do not make much sense. First, I hear, It's a new one, the next Dorothy. To which the second voice replies, You know, trip to New Orleans. A third voice says, That explain everything. And finally, We have this. At which point, the voices fade out. Since this dialogue sounds like gibberish, my transcription is probably way off. And trying to guess the TV program would be even more absurd. At the same time, the tone of the voices, especially in the first speaker, who sounds on the verge of crying, suggests a melodrama, and more specifically, a soap opera, which in the late 1980s was a popular format not just in the daytime, but in the evening as well, with three very successful soaps, Dallas, Knott's Landing, and Dynasty, broadcast in prime time. Most historians consider the first soap opera to be Painted Dreams, which began on Chicago's WGN radio in 1930. Another WGN production, titled Clara Lou N. M., was the first to be broadcast nationally, picked up by NBC in 1931. The creators of these shows drew upon a history of serialized literature that became especially common in the 19th century as literacy expanded and magazines proliferated. The serial was further popularized in newspaper comic strips, like The Cats and Jammer Kids, first published by the New York Journal in 1897. Movie theaters appropriated the form beginning in 1912 with monthly episodes of What Happened to Mary, adapted from stories published in McClure's Ladies World. The term soap opera was applied to radio serials because their sponsors were typically soap companies. For example, Clara Lou N.M. was sponsored by Supersuds Detergent. Some shows that actually featured opera were also sponsored by soap brands, such as the Palmolive Beauty Box Theater, which ran from 1934 to 1937. 
But the term soap opera was applied primarily to 15-minute daytime dramas. And its first use, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, does not come until a 1939 article in Newsweek magazine. The oldest reference I could find comes from that same year in a Washington Post advertisement for radio station WJSV. The ad begins by describing a group of CBS actors as soap opera hams, but goes on to praise their vocal talents in the drama Your Family and Mine, which ran from 1938 to 1940. In the 1950s, many soaps transitioned from radio to television, including the longest-running drama in U.S. history, Guiding Light, which began on radio in 1937 and ended on TV in 2009, an incredible 72 years. While daytime soap operas may lack the renown of primetime programming, Research by media scholar Alana Levine shows they were a financial powerhouse, attracting significant advertising dollars from companies that recognized viewer dedication to their shows. This was especially true in the 1970s and 80s, when soap operas reached their peak in popularity. It was in the late 70s that I became a fan of General Hospital. Rushing home to watch it after junior high school and before my mom got home from work, an illicit practice since we were not allowed to watch TV on weekdays. I still remember the episode with Scott and Laura's honeymoon, as well as Laura's rape at the disco by Luke, which weirdly led to one of the most famous soap opera ceremonies, the wedding of Luke and Laura. Broadcast on November 16th and 17th of 1981, it remains the most viewed event in daytime television history. From a feminist perspective, it is certainly problematic to depict a woman falling in love with her attacker. And indeed, some writers have criticized soap operas for reaffirming patriarchal and heteronormative values. However, current soap opera scholarship is more likely to emphasize the ability of narratives to engage with contemporary social issues, as well as the complicated, sometimes oppositional readings by viewers. The long history of dismissive attitudes directed at soaps also reflects condescension towards the mostly female audience. A 1940 editorial in the Washington Post declares, Soap operas are terrible. Everybody knows they are terrible. If there is any mystery, it is the mystery of who the people are who don't think they are terrible. What's funny is that many elements we associate with the soap opera genre are found in cultural forms primarily linked to a male audience. Consider the rivalries and betrayals of professional wrestling, the constantly shifting alliances and hidden secrets of superhero comics, 
or the family dynamics and romance in the Fast and Furious film franchise. On the other hand, certain characteristics like the five-day-a-week schedule and multiple interweaving storylines with no clear beginning or end are unique to the daytime soap opera. And this unique creation has been on the decline since the 1990s. Between 2009 and 2012, four long-running soaps were canceled, and currently only four remain, one of which I am happy to report is General Hospital. I certainly don't expect my little audio drama to last that long, but who knows? If you want to encourage the effort, or aid in the production of this podcast in any other way, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for more phone messages intrigue.